Grab a seat with me, pull out your Bibles. I want to take a few moments this morning to look to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 55. God is good and worthy to be praised. Uh, with a new year upon us, I'm so excited to see what God has in store for us in 2022. Um, I'm so thankful for the Lord for all that He's done in and through us in 2021. There was many struggles, many adversities, but, 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 he is faithful, and, and He's growing us. He's working on us, sanctifying us, and bringing about new faith. What a joy it is to celebrate that this morning. Um, as I was praying about what to preach on this final Sunday of 2021 and our unique time all together, I'm excited, number one, to be back to First John. We're back next week, and, and what a joy that sermon series has been. And pray you'll come back and join us into the new year, worship God with us moving forward. Um, but today, just Lord, what, 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 what is the focus? And I just was really continuing to meditate on, on some of the words in my prep and preaching last week about Jesus' words about living water. And um, I was contemplating the words of a song we love, All Glory Be to Christ. It's a powerful proclamation put to the famous tune of, of Oleg Zine and, and a song sung at concluding ceremonies and New Year's Eve celebrations. Uh, it's a special song, powerful song with powerful lyrics um, that we'll sing in our finish today as we prepare for a new year. But one of the stanzas there in that song grabs hold of that truth. Let living water satisfy the thirsty without price. Let it satisfy the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness yet. All glory be to Christ. And so that, that wording is from this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 55. And so I want to spend a few moments this morning uh, on these opening verses, verses 1 through 3. Uh, look at it with me and we'll dig in. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And the opening word series says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Chapter opens with this simple but powerful invitation. Come. This highlights the wonderful, humbling, gracious aspect of our good God. He is an inviting God. See with me that God invites everyone who thirst. But but who are the thirsty? Thirst in general is meant to portray a lacking of fulfillment. If you've ever had an infant baby in your midst crying, wailing, you are hearing the sound of great thirst most often. So it's, it's here that, that God offers quenching satisfaction from his living waters. But only the truly thirsty will come and drink. Look with me at the next phrase. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. When speaking of the all-satisfying feast of God, 
eternal life with God. The global reality is mankind has nothing with which to pay our way to feast and fellowship with God. The price is too high. Or you could say the standard is too high. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The perfect holy glory of the Almighty God is the standard that must be met for Him not to compromise His holiness, to have fellowship with His creation. For us to enjoy His holy presence, to, to be reconciled into fellowship with Him now and forever, we must meet His standard and its perfection. Not only is the price too high, but we have nothing in our best righteousness to meet that standard. We have nothing to offer to God. We are completely wrecked in sin. Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our best and most righteous deeds are like filthy, soiled rags. We have no money. And we have nothing to barter with. No task we can perform But still, he invites many to come. Come, he wants his chosen people to come. To come to him. Understand the grace of God when we consider his invitation. The reach of his invitation. We are to come. We're to come bankrupt. We're to come smelly. We're to come belligerent. We're to come addicted. We're to come stubborn, prideful. And even though we're in such disarray, he still invites us to his table. God is so truly gracious. Amen? When your heart feels like a brown, crusty field in the midst of a scorching, Bakersfield summer. When it hasn't rained for a long time in your life. When your fleshly hopes have dried up. When your dreams have been unfulfilled. When you found nothing but dead-end streets again and again and again. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you've been wildly successful in this life. Maybe you've made a lot of money. Maybe you've experienced many thrilling relationships. But you still feel empty deep inside. Unfulfilled, distracted, dissatisfied. Either way, you must see that there is a deep down thirst of your soul that longs to be quenched. I want you to know this morning that there is a true, all-satisfying feast for your soul like nothing else. And God in his providence and election invites many to his table. The good news of these opening words is that there is a way to be quenched. To be satisfied. A way to the all-satisfying God. When we are depraved, selfish, idol-worshiping people deserving of God's holy wrath for our sin, there is a way to Him. A way to feast. But there is a cost that must be paid to do that. Isaiah 55, 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come, you're invited. Come, buy and eat. I find it interesting that Isaiah says, just finish saying, if you have no money, then 
he's declaring you have no money, but then he says, come buy. And so this leads us to ask, how do I buy what I need without money? And the answer is imputation. Our Word of Truth Catechism defines imputation this way. Imputation is when something not your own is credited or accounted to you. Adam's guilt was imputed to all persons. The sin of the elect was imputed to Jesus at the cross, and Jesus' perfect righteousness is imputed to the elect at conversion. Imputation speaks of what those whom God God saves, what they're accredited. Those who trust their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior no longer are going to do it their way. To, to be their own savior, to, 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 do, to do it by their own rules. They die to self. They live to Christ. They submit to God's word. They're a joyful and committed part of the local church and the commission he's given us. For those who commit to Jesus as Lord and Savior, the righteousness that we are now judged by is Jesus' righteousness, not our own. That's imputation. This is huge because we just read our best deeds apart from Christ are filthy before the Holy God. We don't have anything close to righteous to contribute. Our best deeds, that's all the good stuff you're thinking of that you've done or been part of. When Christ is our substitute, the veil or the clothing that God sees on us is Christ's righteousness. The righteousness is not infused into us. It's not performed by us. It's imputed. It's laid upon us like a garment. This is truly the gracious gift of God to save undeserving sinners. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we don't buy with money we bring because we have no money. We we don't buy our way in with our own record or performance. Instead of a lack of money and a lack of righteousness, what we have, what we do possess in our sin is damning debt. Think of the damning debt, the amount of that debt before the holy, perfect standard of God. So with that in mind, how is it that we're able to feast, be satisfied in God without money, or worse, when we're full of debt? We're credited an abundant account of another who is perfectly rich and righteous. Amen? How, this is how we come to, to feast without money. How we buy and eat and feast. We're given the credit of another's account Whose account is this? Jesus Christ. Isaiah says just two chapters before this, in chapter 53, that Jesus, the King of kings, the promised Messiah, in our place would be despised, rejected by men, become one from whom men would hide their faces. He was despised. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. For our iniquities. 
Jesus does this so that we can be cloaked in his holy righteousness and enter the feast of the king. Do you see the amazing grace of God in this? Jesus, who is thrown out in our place willingly, and we are invited in based on his reputation, his status, his perfection. He goes outside the camp. Take on what we deserved. Do you see the power in that? Do you see the amazing grace in that? This is amazing grace. It's not just simple grace. It's amazing. And so this is why we sing, church. This is why we celebrate. Why we are so committed and passionate about gathering every Sunday. Why we don't compromise our worldly plans or affections or, or priorities for corporate worship, we want to gather as God's people and celebrate Him. And we do that as a wonderful precursor for the eternal feast by which we will celebrate Him forever. We live our lives, church, to tell of this good news, to testify to it to those He puts in our path, that in God's perfect timing, they would humble themselves to confess their sin, to confess their deadly doing, all of their pursuits, their own way, their own agenda, to, to, to yield to God, to do it His way. Gospel invitation, come, buy, eat, be full, be satisfied. Come with nothing but only clinging to the cross of Christ to pay your way. That is the great lyrics of that classic hymn, Rock of Ages. Wonderful lyric of rich truth. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Isaiah 55.1 Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Notice three symbols were given here. Water, milk, and wine. Let's briefly consider those for a moment. Water, when you're... When you're most thirsty and most dehydrated, your body, by God's providence, needs water. Nothing else satisfies and quenches your thirst as much as water. It's God's design for your body. It's therefore a wonderful metaphor for the kind of water He alone gives us to satisfy our deepest spiritual thirst. Even King David pointed to the good shepherd's provision for his sheep in Psalm 23. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. As I mentioned last week, Jesus makes it clear that physical water is not enough to quench your deepest thirst. He says to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Jesus is saying if you put your bucket, the bucket of your soul, into anything but me, and you put it into your job, you put it into your money, your, your social status, your stuff, your performance, your family, your marriage even, your parenting, food, if you put it into politics or other pleasures, you will become more and more thirsty. As these things cannot quench your deepest soul thirst Jesus continues in John 4.14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The water that Jesus speaks of here is a metaphor for eternal life 
real quality spiritual life, a quality of life, a quality that quenches soul thirst. He's talking about his life laid down so we can join him in eternal life. The living water that is Jesus is the only thing that ultimately satisfies. Now watch this. Jesus is saying, I have something, a water for your soul that, you're, that you need more than your body needs to live. It's eternal life to you. He's talking about satisfaction. It's ongoing. It's never-ending. God invites us to come to the waters to be satisfied in Christ like nothing else. Another metaphor used here in this passage is milk. I I love this quote from Pastor John Piper. He says, milk corresponds to the need for ongoing nourishment. When someone is gasping for life, you give them water. But when you want a baby to grow day after day, you give him milk again and again. God is not just for emergencies or mountain peaks. He invites you not only to come alive with water, but also to be stable and strong with milk. I want you to expand. I want to expand on our need for milk in the conclusion. So we're going to return to that in a moment for some application. But look with me for a moment at wine. He says, come by wine. We see the symbolism of wine all throughout Scripture. We don't give it enough credit, especially in the modern church. As in all things in God's creation, wine itself is a symbol, a picture, a reflection of something bigger, something greater. It's a picture of the blessings that come from a right relationship with God. Genesis 27, 28. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Wine corresponds to the need for exhilaration and celebration. Psalm 104, verse 15, God gave wine to gladden the heart. We need to be alive and not die, so we drink water. We need to be strong and stable instead of weak and wavering, so we drink milk. But that's not all we need. No matter how stoic, unemotional, laid-back, poker-faced you may be, There's a child inside of every one of us that God made for exhilaration, for singing, for dancing, celebrating, playing and skipping and running and jumping and laughing. Wine is a symbol of God-given symbol of celebration. We see it all throughout Scripture used that way. In the physical and the spiritual, we can quickly embrace the fundamental practices of life, but often set aside the provision of joy that God has provided us. Now, clearly, like anything in creation, we can overindulge, we can sinfully indulge. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about a God-honoring way to, to have any of this. Honors Him. The, there's an invitation to, to feast, to celebrate. This is found in Christ alone. The symbolism of wine is rich. See with me that these things themselves are not the end, but they point us to the one who is, Jesus himself. See this morning that God wants us to be full, to be healthy, to grow, to celebrate, but not as a result of temporary eating or drinking, but most importantly as a result of our feasting on him, receiving his invitation to dine and be satisfied in him, knowing and loving him. Isaiah 55.1 says that God will revive us from the swelter of the valley of the shadow of death with living water. 
and make us strong and healthy and stable with the provision of milk. And then give us endless and ever fresh exhilaration and celebration with wine. Consider the phrase, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. The fact that it is without price is a humbling proclamation when we see it rightly. We gain access to the glorious pleasure of knowing and enjoying God, and it costs us nothing. But understand a critical detail here. It is without price for us. But don't be misguided. It has a high price. It is very expensive. Because God is just, justice will be had. The price will be paid for redemption. Someone has to pay the bill of the debt of our sin. This is what Jesus does on our behalf. By his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5. Grace is not free. It's a gift to you and to me, but it is costly to God. Look with me at verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Let me ask you this morning to make it personal as we prepare for a new year. What have you been spending your time on? Your, your efforts on, your hard work, your priorities, what has you consumed? What have you been pursuing in order to be satisfied? It's, it's, it's quick that we get off on tangents, so we get outside of God's will, revealed will for us of what it looks like to, to live our days and to honor Him. We, we go searching for answers and other things and other things, and, and we get distracted and we, and we get focused on it, and it's consuming. What's that one thing that if you think you had it, if that would just be resolved, then everything would work right. And we get stuck chasing that stuff. Maybe for you it's a different job. Maybe it's to live in a different city. Maybe it's to drive a different car. Or to have a different house. Or maybe even a different spouse or a new computer, or a new boat, or, or new books, or a new bike, or a new grill, or new season tickets, or maybe just a new look. One of my favorite quotes goes like this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Pascal brings to light the traps of this if left alone as our only pursuit. All these things are inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite an immutable object, that is to say, only by God Himself. What are you chasing? How have you become distracted? What different agenda have you picked up? All the things that we've been trying to gain satisfaction in, they can be great, they can be really sweet. Many of them are given to us by God Himself to be enjoyed. 
But if that's all we've dreamed of and chased, then what we have yearned for and worked for is a distant second compared to that which God offers us in himself alone. Romans 1.25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Because we're wired for worship, we will worship. But when we turn from God to find substitutes, we heap worship on all the wrong things. G.K. Chesterton once said, when we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing We worship anything. So it's these very substitutes that become the idols of our heart. You might say, I'm not an idol worshiper. But if the thing you're chasing for, the thing your soul clamors for, the thing that you're hoping for, the change, the, the shift, if it's not him, it's idol worship. The Word of Truth Catechism says, Idolatry is worshiping or finding hope identity, significance, purpose, or security in anything other than in God, our Creator. The point is this, the created things of God cannot and do not satisfy like only God can. Isaiah 55, 2, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Some of you have been busy. You've had an excuse for why you have not been doing the things God says are good and right and first. You've been saying, I'll get to that later. I'll get to it in my own time. I've got to do this first. What bread have you been pursuing? Jesus said in John six thirty five, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Bread is satisfaction. It's sustenance for life. He's saying, I am that sustenance. I am that satisfaction. Now this is too big to just hear and say, okay, now let's move on. This is where many of us, even many of us believers, still don't get this. Jesus is saying that true life, lasting life, satisfying life is only found in Him. If that's really true, then why are we so concerned with anything else? Even to the point where in many of those things we are undone at how they're going. Jesus is life. He doesn't just make life better. He's everything. He is the bread that satisfies, the prize of all prizes. We must replace our counterfeit idols and affections with the satisfaction that only God is. The next part of verse 2 or 3, Isaiah 55, 2 and 3, Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. The call to listen diligently is the call on us still today. You must listen diligently you must incline your ear to come to jesus and hear so your soul will live the call to listen or be mindful of your hearing is emphasized all throughout holy scripture especially we see it in the book of hebrews to give you a taste in chapter 2 verse 1 he says pay close attention to the message you've heard lest you drift away 
In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, consider Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 8, don't harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness. In chapter 3, verse 12, take care lest you have an evil heart of unbelief. And then he takes a breath. You can almost hear the author sigh. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Did you hear it? He gives a specific diagnosis to his audience, ailments. The danger we all face is that we become dull of hearing. Pay extra close attention to what is behind these exhortations. Pay close attention. Consider. Don't harden your heart. Be diligent. Hold fast. These are the doctor's prescriptions for the disease of our dullness of hearing. Dullness of hearing doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your physical ears. It means there's something wrong with your heart. The heart is not diligent to embrace the promises and then respond in faith. The word comes into the ears, it goes to the heart, and it hits something hard or tough. That's, that's dullness of hearing. The promises come to the ear, but there's no passion for them. There's no sweet surrender, radical abandon of our grip on whatever it is we're holding to, to just trust God and do it His way. There's no lover's embrace. There's no cherishing or treasuring faith or perseverance. The opposite of the dullness of hearing is hearing with faith that produces obedience. Dullness of hearing is hearing without faith. This is like hearing the Bible or the preaching of the Word in a way that you hear the freeway noise at 99 when you're near it. Or the way you might hear the music in the dentist's office. You hear it, but you don't. You've grown dull to its sound. It doesn't awaken or produce anything in you. So we have to address that. What may cause us to not listen diligently or recline our ears or come to Jesus and hear so our souls may live. The words rich food are found in this verse. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. That's translated right there. Fatness. I love that. There's a lot of it. Or that it's very satisfying is what it's meant to portray in Psalm 36, 8. There shall be abundant, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. And thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. That's King James translation, Psalm 36, verse 8. The feast of God is truly fulfilling and it's plentiful. There is a true fatness. The Bible loves to talk of the riches of God, the fullness of joy at His right hand. It is what's best. It doesn't run out. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see the Lord is good. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. We must not reduce God, though, to a key that unlocks a treasure chest. Know instead that He would be our our treasure. Job 22, 
25, the Almighty himself will be your treasure. He will be your precious silver. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. King David is is saying, when the Lord is my shepherd, I don't lack any good thing. Now notice the call to eat, to eat what is good. It's an invitation to come eat, he's saying. Be nourished, be satisfied. Isaiah 55, 2, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Today, you might be wondering, how can I mature in Christ as I move into this new year? The answer is, you eat the soul nourishment He alone provides. You stop chasing the stuff that's secondary. This is where I want to come back to milk. Scripture speaks of milk as a metaphor God uses for how we grow. 1 Peter chapter 2, 2 and 3, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What is pure spiritual milk? It's a reference to spiritual growth in Christ. Spiritual growth is not a mystical thing. It's rational. It's informed. It's genuine when it happens by the Word of God. If we want to be with and near and about the Eternal Father, we want to hear His voice. We want Him to shape us and lead us and grow us. We must long and eat the pure spiritual milk of His living Word. Listen to how the psalmist describes the Word of God, how it feeds and fills our lives. Psalm 19, 7-11 The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules and ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, in keeping with them there is great reward. The benefits of knowing and doing the word of God are greater than all that money can buy. Jesus said when fasting in the desert, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Food can only give us physical life. It's temporary. But the Word of God gives us spiritual life, life that never ends, that which is indeed life. Many Christians feel like their faith is so bland. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you lately. You feel distracted. You feel like your faith is just a tiny ember somewhere in the cold ashes Ashes of a fire that once burned really bright. But now it's just barely smoldering. And in many areas, you just become kind of cold. Christian, it's because you're malnourished. It's because you got caught up in in looking in the storm and the happenings and the the circumstances. You're walking less by faith and more by sight. 
You need spiritual fuel. So when you say, God, why do I feel so weak? His response, according to Scripture, is because you're not longing and delving into that pure spiritual milk enough. Some of us are guilty of, we've studied it long and hard, and so we kind of got it in our back pocket, and we, and we kind of ride that. No, we need to come to it with faith like a child, with, with, with praying for new eyes, readiness to hear what we've maybe put away or haven't understand to that point. Job said in Job 23.12, I've treasured your words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Is that your view of God's word? Is your longing for pure spiritual milk? God's calling us by way of command to desire the pure milk of the word and long for it. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, your law is my delight. First Peter I read a moment ago in chapter 2, verse 2, newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. And so I just ask you, what have you been trying to fuel yourself with lately? If someone from a foreign culture, I mean really foreign, came to shadow you for a week, what would they just report you're longing for, hungering for? Peter says, with all of your longing, all the longings in this life, this is the one you need to have an intense, passionate, overwhelming, insatiable craving for the Word of God. The fact that it's pure it means it's uncontaminated, it's uncorruptible, contaminated. And we need it in a, in a, in a society full of deception and manipulation, lies. John Piper said something years ago that really rocked my world. I've shared it with you many times. I'll share it with you again. There is a spiritual diet without which no Christian can be strong and healthy and fruitful. That is a diet of the Word of God. We must eat the pure, undefiled spiritual milk of God's Word. There is no other food that will do its work like it in our lives. Do you crave God's word for your soul? Have you replaced it with other things that you've been chasing? Isaiah 53, 55.3, Incline your ear, come to me here that your soul may live. And so I compel, I pastorally press, I, I say that no, no time like the present to, to make some change. Right? We begin a new reading plan in just days. January 3rd, we'll start into a whole New Year's focus. We're going to look to some Old Testament scriptures and see the different eras of the Old Testament. And we'll um, insert throughout that journey a couple of Gospels and epistles to read. If you get our printed sheet on the back with the 2022 year reading plan, you fold that and put it in your Bible to have it ready for your reading. Or... I recommend you go to our website and go to resources and go to Bible reading plan and sign up, put your email in and then go to your email and confirm it. And you'll get a daily reading in your inbox. Disciples Church Bible reading plan. A chunk of that passage that we're reading through Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, 
Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, five days a week. And then on Saturday, you'll receive a devotion that I write that kind of helps us dig into what we read that week, Saturday study. And then Sunday, there's no scripture sent. The hope is that you're present and worshiping God, the local church, and growing in the teaching of the word by faithful shepherds. And then back to it Monday. Will you join me? Will you rally together? Doing that together means we can share what we're reading. We can encourage each other, exhort each other, be helped in our journey together. Before we wrap up, notice something that our passage says that God does. In verse 1, come to the waters, come for wine and milk. And then in verse 3, he says, come to me. Why? Because it is God himself that is our ultimate living water. Because it is God himself who is our ultimate nourishing milk. Because it is God himself who is our ultimate exhilarating wine. What this helps us with is to understand the things of life, the everyday things that we come to enjoy. He's created them and entrusted them to us to be enjoyed unto his glory, unto seeing our need and desperation for him, to give him praise. So when we say God is good, it doesn't mean that something just good happened. It means that I'm seeing in the midst of it all, the hard and and the struggle and, and the wins, that he is my satisfaction. He is consistent. He is my joy. He's worthy of my life and my praise. Just as this passage says, Hear so that your soul may live. I pray for those of you who do not truly know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You might have religion. You might have a lot of time studying the Word. Whatever. None of that matters. You need Jesus. You need imputation. Come to Him to confess your sin and trust your life to Jesus, that you would live for him the rest of your days. Be committed to his word, committed to the local church, doing the work and the priorities that he's called us to do for his glory. There's nothing more important. There's nothing greater. I pray that you are not dull of hearing, but that you incline your ear, that you long pursue the spiritual milk of Christ's word, And that by His amazing grace, you hear the good news of God's saving grace through Jesus Christ alone. You die to self and you trust your life to Christ. Christ And you are satisfied. This is the only way your soul will live. Receive His invitation today. Set aside your counterfeits and trust Him alone. I want to ask you to stand with me as I read Scripture, and then we're going to sing this final closing song, the song I mentioned at the opening. I pray its words are rich to your soul. Isaiah 25, 6-9 says this, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine and rich food full of marrow and well-aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and reproach of his people. He will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Church, he is Christ our King. 
All glory be to Christ. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this marvelous day to, to have as be part of our Christmas celebration, our celebration of Christ's birth. We pray that the gospel is bright in among those who are still dead in darkness. We pray for the preaching of your word, not only here at Disciples Church, but faithful churches around the world on this day that many would be saved. And we look to a new year now with confession and repentance. There's so many, so many ways we've made it about us. So many ways we've been so self-focused. So many ways we've been so driven by temporary circumstances and, and, and temporary pursuits. Chasing idols of the heart. Looking for other things to, to make us happy and satisfied. Lord, help us to confess that as sin. Help us to repent of it. To, to embrace the joyful practice of repentance. To just simply surrender to you. Be led by your word. To, to be united with your body under the mission you've given us for, for a work for this time. Making of disciples, the sending of missionaries to the unreached people groups. And we look forward to that day. There's no more pain, no more sin, no more death and tears, but joy and worship celebration in your holy presence. The fatness of the house. Pleasures of God forevermore. All glory be to Christ. We turn to you. We are desperate for you. We cannot do it on our own. Our, our best efforts apart from you are in vain. Be glorified in us as you are at work in and through us. By your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.